I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Jeremy here. Um, (laughs) This week's episode, uh, we dive into some uh, heavy material. Not not heavy material, but but controversial subject matter. Uh, We spend the next hour talking about pedophilia. In particular, pedophilia studied uh, as as a mental illness, studied by uh, Dr. James Cantor, who is a a sexual psychologist. Our conversation with Dr. Cantor, um, it was a pretty eye-opening one for myself and for Brian and Taylor as well. Before we dive into this conversation, before before I I let the episode start, I just want to ask you to, to listen to this episode with an open mind and an open heart. Oftentimes when the word pedophile or, or uh, pedophilia comes up in conversation, we tend to just shut down, a- at least for me, right? Every time I would hear that word or I would hear you know, some sort of story that, that had something to do with that topic, I, I would become enraged. There would be this, this anger that came over me. We condemn pedophilia so strongly as a society that whenever it comes up in conversation, we just shut off. And Dr. James Cantor has a lot to say um, about what it means to be a pedophile, things that I never really would have considered. So that's all I ask, is for the next hour, just sit down and, and in the words of Taylor from, from his really great blog post on this week's episode over at our website, sickboypodcast.com, take a deep breath. Breathe in compassion, breathe out understanding, feel those emotions fully and completely, and then press play, and then listen. As always, uh, we love each and every one of you. Thank you all so much for your support up to this point, and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Dr. James Cantor. He's a sexual psychologist specializing in pedophilia. So let's talk about it. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. We'll just we'll just roll from here. Yeah, um, this has come up. We've done a couple episodes where I I kind of get like like jammed up in in how I want to approach the conversation. Like I don't want to say anything that is wrong, or I don't want to say anything that might like offend and and or you know whatever. Like for example, we did an episode on on transgender issues. And I was like, I don't want to say something to offend you. Yeah, and she yeah. was she was like, you get a free fucking pass. Uh, you can say whatever you want to me. Yeah, I, and I it think, was great. But I, there is this kind of sense of what we are going to dive into today, where I'm like, oh man, I, like I'm, which it's is a hard thing to talk about. Right? Yeah, it is. And when you think about it, uh, how far we have come from not very long ago where we just could not talk it at all, and now we are so sensitive to some people's issues, that's starting to make it hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. It used to be we couldn't talk about it at all just in case it's true. Mm-hmm. Now it's the talking itself. We're aware of what this means to people and how we have to say it in a very sensitive way, which is still <coughs> a very new way to uh, how we deal with these problems. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd like to take it as a, uh, as a sign of success. Although there are certainly, when it comes to sex research, you know, many uh, yeah. uh, examples where uh, political extremism is shutting down conversation instead of encouraging yeah. it. Just back to what you were saying, Jared, um, I kind of think of conversations like this where I haven't, <clears throat> or where I just don't know too much about a, a certain topic. I think of these conversations as a way to really explore that and 
and uh, better understand it so I can form my own my own opinions um, mm-hmm. from a more educated standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in having this conversation because I, I, I really don't know too much about it. So why, why don't we, for the people who are listening and they're like, well, what the what fuck the are they talking about? What the fuck are they going to talk about? What does that topic go to yeah, be that's yeah. so sensitive? Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, let us know who you are and, and your line of work. And uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, my name is Dr. James Cantor. I'm a psychologist and a sexual behavior scientist. Uh, and most of what I study is uh, the biological basis of atypical sexualities, mostly pedophilia, the All sexual right. interest in children. That's the big one. It, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, well... Uh, it's a fascinating field. Sometimes I think, uh, well, why exactly isn't everyone a sex researcher? As, uh, as my grandmother would have said, uh, if you're going to think about sex all day anyway, you may as well get a job at it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Of course. That's amazing. So, what, so the difference, uh, I know a lot of people kind of say pedophilia or pedophilia. Is, there, uh, is it tomato-tomato or is there... Yep. Is there I, I've, heard I, okay. I've heard both. I've heard both. Although if I were going to... Uh, say something about <laughs> definitions and the definitions that people really need to know, it'd be to separate very, very strongly pedophilia itself, which is the actual sexual interest in children. Uh, in every meaningful way, it's a sexual orientation. These, uh, all the science suggests that they're essentially born with it and they can't change it. They're just kind of saddled with it and have to do the best that they can do. Mm-hmm. So it's important to separate the pedophilia itself, the sexual attraction, from the behavior, the child molestation. That's oh, right. the part that's criminal, and that's the part that we need to, uh, uh, need to really prevent and punish in society. Right. Now, would you call someone who has a interest in having sex with children, or, or, or sorry, uh, is turned on by the thought of, of, of ch- children in a sexual way, um, would they be considered a pedophile, or is a pedophile someone who acts out on that interest? The pedophile is the person with the interest, regardless of whether they ever do anything uh, with it or not. Okay. The child molester is the person who does it, regardless of what motivated them. Okay. If they are sexually interested uh, in children, then they are both a pedophile and a child molester. Uh- but there's also a child molestation pattern uh, called surrogacy, really. For, there's, unfortunately, there isn't a better term. A lot of those, uh, those are very common in incest situations, where the, mm-hmm. almost always it's a man abusing usually a daughter or stepdaughter, but really as uh-huh. a replacement for an adult partner. He actually prefers adults. As I say, that those are uh, most of the incest cases, and about two thirds of all cases. <clears throat> all right, I, I think that's a that's a really, really, right off the bat, like a huge chunk of truth and education for any like anybody who's listening, and m- me, I'm sure probably the three of us as well, making that separation because, I mean, the connotation to me that my, in my whole life up until just now has been, oh, a pedophile, someone who someone who has. Who, someone who's like molested a child. Exactly. You know, to it, most people, they're synonyms. Right, mm. exactly, totally. And just to make that distinction right off the bat, that's a huge like, mm. okay, let's just drive a stake in between those two and separate them right off the bat. And now, everything I, from there is just take that and now bring it to its logical conclusion. Imagine, all right, a person without the behavior but has the interest through no fault of their own. They're just born with this thing. Right. They can't do anything with it. They can't tell anyone. They can't, you know, giggle and sex play with their friends in quite the same way. They can't in many circumstances. They can't even tell their therapists. Mm-hmm. And the sexual orientation, like that, that you know, when you think about all, you know, all the sexual orientations that there are, that we that we uh, that you would run through commonly in a, in a, in your day to day life, or if you thought if someone asked you what those, what the plethora of those are, I would I wouldn't have until now. Included that as an orientation, mm-hmm. or thought of it that way. There's, I, I mean, even and even with us having described this this much or gone in, like, gone into this much depth uh, surrounding the topic, there, I know for sure that there's. This is one of those things that that I I feel like people are going to have a very hard time. A lot of people are going to have a very hard time processing this idea, like separating the pedophile from the child molester, right? Like they're both evil, right? Right. And and that's not what I'm saying is is the case. I'm saying that there's people, there's people who are going to look at this and just go, yeah, well, no, like it doesn't matter if that, if you're thinking that you are inherently a bad person. Um, But that's not, 
the case. It's in a not just a choice. society, it shouldn't be the case. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who do, whether they even realize it themselves or not, believe in thought crime. That having the thought somehow makes them uh, less uh, less trustworthy. That all they need is the urge itself, and in just the right circumstance, they would actually express it. Right. That, that's a natural way we often think about. It's, it. it's like but, Minority Report, where they where they yeah, where they is, where they, yeah. they can read the mind of the of the criminal before they actually act on the crime, and then they 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 put them in prison according to their thought rather than the actual crime committed. What were you gonna What were you gonna say? You were you were about to. Uh, oh, uh, the example with a uh, regular, everyday, uh, straight guy. He still, of course, will be attracted to other women. But that doesn't mean he's at any kind of a meaningful risk to become a rapist just because he's attracted right. to women. Right. That's a, so if somebody is attracted to children, saying, yeah. that does yeah. not automatically yeah. put them on the way to committing any other right. kind of sexual so abuse. So is it okay to say that, is it okay for me to empathize with a pedophile and say, I, I, I feel so bad that you are born with this sexual orientation and that you cannot go out and act on that and that you feel so isolated in in your sexuality but still not think that acting on that is is okay. Yes, I, I think that that's both a very uh, important, profound, and still very subtle point. I can be empathetic for a person's interests. I can also be empathetic for the uh, idea that the only thing we can ask this person to do is live a celibate life. That's not a, is, that's some that's, tall that's order. A, that right. is a big order. Exactly. You know? But that's what other choice do we have? Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to be uh, empathetic for that. And then if there's a guy who slips, if he starts uh, uh, downloading child porn, actually does touch a kid, it's also very easy to be empathetic then for the victim. But, right. you know, so it, it's not uh, uh, empathy for one does not mean that I have to withhold it from the other. I can recognize that this is an impossible situation. And we as a society need to be able to find and prevent these kinds of situations yeah. rather than just coming in after it's too it, late. It is such an insane, like, mind fuck to think about it because, you know, on one hand, like, I, I, I think of my, I don't know, it, Man, it's 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 this it's one of these things that makes me simultaneously I'm having this feeling of like hardcore empathy for someone that but that at the same time like this other part of my brain just starts to think of the the potential dangers in yeah. exactly and, and just naturally just, want to protect yeah, the kids who protect, could be at risk. Yeah, protect, but again, protect, it comes protect, back to right? dividing pedophile from child molester. Exactly, right? totally. because a pedophile hasn't necessarily done anything. Mm-hmm. So tell I, us I'm, about. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I feel like you were probably going to go exactly where I was going to go. It, tell us about like what, like what is entailed in your work. What do you, what do you work on? Uh, well, the things I've done, the details of what I've done have changed over uh, over years. When uh, when I first got involved at the, uh, with this particular kind of project, there was already a, a lab that was uh, well set uh, well set up and already famous for doing research on pedophilia and uh, and different kinds of sexual abusers. Uh, when I got there, by sheer coincidence, I had a background in neuropsychology. So I was able, you know, and they're always looking for new ways to evaluate and assess and figure out, you know, new features and characteristics in order to understand what's going on. Uh, and these are, you know, this is really before MRI got big, but we could tell it was on its way. It was still only being used for, you know, very uh, obvious brain issues. It mm-hmm. wasn't yet used for, uh, for these more subtle issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I got there, because the hospital was seeing very large numbers of these people, we were able to get uh, uh, large samples of, uh, of people who had committed offenses against uh, children, who, or, uh, some of whom were gen- uh, genuine pedophiles, some of whom were not, and we were able to ask them to volunteer to be uh, take part in different kinds of studies. Memory testing, IQ testing, things that you know, we didn't expect turned out to be exquisitely important. Uh, handedness, just whether they're left-handed or right-handed. Now, the reason that that's uh, important, even though at this time we were only suspecting something was going on in the brain, there's only one thing that influences a person's handedness, and that's the basic organization of the brain. In utero, the... Uh, uh, one hemisphere develops before the other. Uh, and so in most people, it's the left hemisphere that develops first, it develops faster, so it becomes the dominant hemisphere, and the way the brain works is crossed. Mm-hmm. So a dominant left hemisphere almost always means a right-handed person. Mm-hmm. But if something happens during that time of advantage that that hemisphere gets, uh, if it grows more slowly because of uh, whatever, maternal stress, poor nutrition, something like that, the other hemisphere tries to catch up 
and it starts to take over the functions that were going to be for the other hemisphere, and that person then becomes left-handed, or sometimes ambidextrous or, or uh, mm. ambiguously handed. So in regular everyday folk, it's about 8%-ish, 10%-ish of, uh, of men are non-right-handed. But it was over 30% of the pedophiles. Hmm, interesting. Huge. Yeah. The only other groups that had that large of a excess of left-handedness are people with obvious something is different in their brains, people with schizophrenia uh, and people with autism. So all of a sudden uh, now, because we know brain develops before birth, the only way this could be different would be whatever chain of events it is that eventually leads to pedophilia, the first links of that chain have to be before birth. There was just no other way to explain the association. This might be a stupid question, but does, does that mean that there's some sort of correlation between pedophilia and, and schizophrenia and, and autism in some way? Like... Not in any direct way. Sure. Okay. Uh, there's certainly uh, uh, no pattern that would suggest if somebody is, uh, is autistic or on the autistic spectrum and or schizophrenic, there's no reason to think that those people are meaningfully more likely to okay. be pedophilic. Okay. Uh, but if one is studying entire populations, then might, uh, one might find a statistical association generally showing that if one thing went wrong during development, other things may have gone, uh, gone wrong during development. So you'll get you know, some associations, but not the kind of association where you can say anything about any individual person. Uh, the other thing that's difficult specifically with people uh, with <clears throat> schizophrenia or another psychotic disorder is they don't respond to the reality that we see. They can you know, uh, feel sexual or think a kid is coming on to them sexually because they're hallucinating. They're just not perceiving reality, right. which is unlike a pedophile for whom this is the genuine, genuine look of the kid. That really is what turns them on. Is that what you, is that what you mean when you, you a few, two, two or three minutes ago you mentioned some of which were authentic, I think you used authentic pedophiles or... or I, I I'll say genuine. Genuine, usual. genuine. Um, is that the distinction? In terms of the study, the, the, the yeah, people that you're studying. The main distinction is uh, the genuine pedophiles are the ones who uh, uh, experience the actual sexual preference for children. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones who engage the behavior but still prefer adults, again, it could be in that uh, sexual surrogate kind uh, of situation, which is common right. in incest offenses. But if it's somebody with schizophrenia, it has nothing really to do with what the person actually looks like. They are just... How do you, how do you test that? Or it, can, is there like a measurable way to test like, oh, you... Because you answered ABC, you are genuinely you're a genuine pedophile. For schizophrenia, it really would be a, a fuller part of a whole assessment. This would sure. just be one symptom of many, many different things that are going uh, right. uh, that are different about the person. So really, it would be a good, solid assessment, which would include sexual behavior. Okay. Uh, but there's no reason to think that it would be specific to sexual behavior. Usually, it's a much broader, uh, distorted way of seeing the world. Oh, I, I meant like specifically to pedophilia, though. Like, is there a way to j test? Oh, to test uh, pedophilic child molesters versus non-pedophilic child molesters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was uh, a fascinating uh, series of studies, and the test itself still uh, exists today. Uh, it's called a phallometric exam. A, ph a phallometric? Phall it's also called penile plethysmography. <laughs> yeah, I was oh. like, dick metrics. <laughs> uh, that is exactly what it is. Uh, it's the most obvious test in the world. Uh, it was invented by a, a guy named uh, Kurt Freund. Uh, he was a uh, sex researcher in the, uh, mostly in the mid-20th century. Uh, he was uh, Jewish and forced by the communist uh, uh, government in uh, Czechoslovakia at the time uh, to come up with a test that would tell who's gay from who's straight. Whoa. Whoa. The reason that for that... Sucks. It works backwards Fuck. from what you think it oh, was. Oh, really? Okay. He, he was conscripted, essentially, for the military to develop such a test because uh, in, uh, in those days... Uh, that gay men were not allowed in the army, so men right. were faking being gay or saying that they were gay oh, to right. get out of the army. You know what's, so rather than kick them out of the army, which is what we're accustomed to in uh, North America, yeah. it's people were using it to get out. And so they had Freund come, uh, Freund come up with a test that would tell which ones were really gay, in which case they were out, versus the ones who were just faking it and they're back in the army. The craziest thing is that in, in ancient Greece, uh, they like specifically had to have uh, homosexuals in the in the army because they believed that when you fought in pairs uh, you were more attached to your your partner that you were fighting alongside of if you ha were having a sexual relationship with them as well 
It was also much, much more common that we that we don't have the social constructs of that time are were, are yeah, completely like, different, course, kind, yeah. kind of different than now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's totally different. I'm uh, not I'm not saying they're yeah, correlated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing this test, the the phallometric phallometric test, and uh, it's I'm picturing like the scene from uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, where, a lot of people when, do. He, when he's like sitting do. in that chair and their eyes are like forced <laughs> yeah. to open. Yeah. Is so, that kind of what it is? Like you just you're forced. Uh, no, to it, it's uh, as I say, it's, it's probably not, the most obvious test in the world. The man wears what's essentially a blood pressure cuff on his penis you know okay. it's a, uh, a ring and elastic uh, uh, <laughs> an elastic goes around the metal part of the ring and then a glass cylinder over that so as he gets more or less of an erection the computer records how much air is getting moved in and out of that cylinder there's flash up pictures of dicks and vaginas eggs uh, there are that's the basic idea yeah, there are three yeah. pictures you know whole body rear view front uh, front view of adults children uh, and pubescent children 11 to 14 uh, but they average. don't uh but like, what kinds of photos? We're not, like, they're not. Are they? Are they showing like sexual photos of children? Uh, they're, uh, no, they're nudes. They're the kind of nudes you would see in a medical textbook. So oh, okay. there's really so, no emotion okay. on there's, their faces. There's, no, there's nothing okay. erotic to them. Got it. Got they're it. listening uh, on headphones to dis, uh, to stories describing sexual interactions. But the oh. photos are just photos. They're not even particular. They were not selected to be attractive models. They were selected very <clears> specifically <throat> to be average, typical-looking models. Sure. Right. Okay. Uh, I have a question that uh, I've been I've been wanting to ask, and now it popped up in that last uh, thing you said. Um, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, and he he was. He was curious about the distinction, or if there is a distinction, between a person who is... I mean, we've, we've come up with the social construct that an adult is 18 plus. Correct? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I know where you're going. Right? And to, to him, there seemed to be, and I agree, that there's a very big difference between like a pubescent mm-hmm. a child, pre-18, and a pre-pubescent child. Mm-hmm. And if there is... If, if there is um, a spectrum on which pedophiles uh, think or mm. whether they, you know, they have a, a preference for prepubescent or postpubescent, and where does that... Where's the line? Where's the, the, where the, where line, you draw the line? line? Excellent question. Yes, there is. Uh, unlike sexual orientation, which is not completely, but pretty dichotomous, but age is not. Unlike, you know, male or female with not very much in between, you know, specific trans issues excluded. Mm -hmm. But with age, you know, it's a gradation from young to old. Uh, And people do appear to have favorite ages, or at least a most preferred age. Right. Uh, uh, Male, human, you know, average favorite is early 20s, roughly 21 to to 25. Culture after culture, you know, Mm. throughout history, wherever we can tell, it seems to be early 20s. Uh, which matches up at peak reproductive time. That's uh, when a person, is, when women are most fertile, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and have usually the highest uh, reproductive uh, value. Evolutionary theorists uh, call it. Uh, now, people, uh, there are people who prefer younger. There are people who prefer older, and people also have a second best, slightly older or slightly younger than right around uh, their own age. Uh, teenage boys will usually have a preference for girls who are a little bit older than they are because they're closer to 20 to 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, even a 14-year-old uh, boy will put up uh, posters of models who are in their early 20s, not you know, uh, girls who are in their teens right. in general. Uh, now, we do, when doing uh, sex research, we do often want to chop these up into as fine a distinction as we can, uh, as fine a distinction as we can. When we do do that, we will usually uh, put a, uh, a, there's been a traditional line at puberty but of course, exactly where puberty is is a bit, forgive the term, fuzzy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so usually nice. somebody who is, I, I'm not the one who started that. It was not the sex researcher, Ray Blanchard. Uh, so uh, uh, in many circumstances, we would restrict, uh, uh, restrict who we're talking about to pre-pubertal kids, and that's a, uh, uh, a pedophile. Uh, the person who's attracted to early pubescent age kids, you know, downy, wispy pubic hair, but not adult, uh, of course, pubic hair. Uh, a, uh, a girl would have breast bu- uh, buds, but she wouldn't have adult-sized uh, uh, breasts. So uh, really a pubescent age kid. On average in Western society, as I say, that's somewhere between 11 and 14. A person who prefers that age we would call a HEBA file, H-E-B-E. 
Hebophile. Right, where Heba is Greek for youth instead of pedo, which is okay. child. Yeah, sure. Uh, oh, so there's, okay. uh, So some people have <laughs> reflexively used that under the belief that that's where, you know, nature's joint is. Mm. Uh, turns out that's not really where nature's joint is. Nature's joint seems to be that hebophilia goes with pedophilia, and older than that is just a range of normal. Mm. People are into 15, 16 years old, we call ephebophiles, and then regular everyday uh, folk who are into adults, 17 plus ish, we call teleophiles. And then way at the other end, we get, uh, and uh, having recently had my 50th birthday, I'm coming to think of them more and more, uh, the gerontophiles. Gerontophiles. That's, that's quite the name. So, uh, so having, having all of these. So, uh, so, hold on. So we would be, I mean, I, my wife is like, she's four years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we're, you know, we're, we're not monogamous and I tend to see people who are in their early twenties. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's considered a, a, a what? Perfectly typical. Oh, that, that, oh that's there's, well not, within a, the there's not a file to that. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the average typical everybody philia is teleophilia. Teleophilia. Yep. Okay. okay. And Brian, <clears throat> you are generally a, 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 a what was it? Jet. Gerontophilia. Gerontophilia. Gerontophile. Yeah. You love yeah. the gerontophile. My girlfriend is 25, so... No, that's uh, still sure. very, very yeah. teleophile. Yeah. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I guess I screwed that up. Uh, at and what age is, that, really is it plus 50? Is, it, is that gerontophile plus 50? Um, usually for a real gerontophile, that would be still pretty young. Okay. Depending on the look of the person. There's a sure. wide variety. There are well-kept 50-year-olds, thank you very much. And there are 50-year-olds who, <laughs> and there are 50-year-olds who are, are starting to droop a bit yes, more. Yeah, right. Uh, but really, you can't uh, decide on a person's you know, single relationship or specific significant other. You know, that doesn't really necessarily describe their preference in general. Right. Because yeah. there's much more going on rather just than, just, uh, other than just the sexual attraction, do you well, mean? Th- uh, there's that, and um, uh, uh, for example, if uh, somebody fell in love it, in the old days, age of consent, of course, was very young. Mm-hmm. Even though somebody had a relationship very young doesn't mean that they prefer people at that age. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was just that's what they did at that age. Right. Uh, age of consent issues were uh, also associated with inheritance issues. Arranged marriages and things like that in certain cultures. Exactly, and, yeah. and guaranteed that the uh, girl especially was a virgin on, uh, on marriage. Uh, so uh, in the early days, uh, the wedding night was not automatically the day sex began, which is, you know, the... 20th century or Victorian standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, having talked about all these these tiers of uh, you know, a, like age groups and their associated terminology, we have one law that comes down on somebody who has committed a sexual crime against someone below the age of 18 when they are above the age of 18, correct? I think so. Uh, around here uh, in Ontario, the age of consent is 16. Yeah, I thought it was 16. Okay. Too. Is there or... Should there be distinctions made based on those age groups? Are you? Do you mean like is should there be a, a difference in punishment between like if it's a thirty year old has is a uh, hebdophile or is that what you hebophile hebophile uh, versus a thirty year old who is a pedophile? Should there be a di- like should there be a different like a more harsh penalty for the pedophile right than, right than the the heb Hebophile. Hebophile. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm asking. Is that what you asked? And I and I don't know if that's in your wheelhouse at all. Yeah. Uh, it is, but I want to underline that you've already said and tripped over the most important part. Not all these cases are the same. Mm. Which is exactly how most of the laws are. Just take every book you can think of and throw it at them. I don't care what the crime is, the you know, more heinous thing I can think of, the holier I must be, and just throw every case as if every case is the worst case you can think of. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, pick your age ranges. You know, a twelve year old and a sixteen year old. Well, that was pretty typical sex play. Is it? I'm not sure it's a crime at all. Right. Uh, then there are uh, younger kids and older kids where you know just bodily exploration is perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, if uh, one is uh, more developed than the other, I don't mean physically, mentally. You mm-hmm. know, if uh, the younger one is actually more with it than the older one was, that right. happens sometimes. Is that the same as uh, it? Is that the same as a situation where one is taking advantage of another? Uh, or is it just one is bullying the other and used a sexual way to bully the other? Oh, do we now, is this really what we meant by a sex crime? 
uh, or when it's a sibling-on-sibling situation is completely different from when it's two kids in a playground, Mm -hmm. which is completely different from when it's a stepfather and a stepchild. So in each of these cases, you know, there were different (laughs) motivations, there were different levels of harm that they pose, Mm -hmm. and different interventions that we need to put the family unit or community back together. Now, I don't have uh, a perfect answer uh, for any one of these, but you hit on exactly correctly that we need to look at what each case needs, where it came from, and how do we set it right. It's not just punish, 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 throw the person in jail uh, forever, uh, and throw the person in jail forever. Not only is it expensive, it probably gets in the way of preventing these cases. If an example that is very common but, uh, but nobody thinks of, uh, a, a woman working three jobs, there's a, a no co-parent in the situation, she has the 14-year-old who does something inappropriate while babysitting for the nine-year-old sister. Well, if the mother knows that this is going to get you know, her 14-year-old labeled uh, and put on a, a, a sex offender registr- registry for life, this woman would be crazy for calling the police on her own son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What she needs is family therapy and a social support network, you know, for her to be able to provide the kind of supervision a parent needs to be able to provide a child. So by making these one-size-fits-all laws, yeah. we're actually inhibiting people from coming mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's take that exact situation right there. Say that mother uh, doesn't call the cops but goes to a, a therapist and, and tells them about the situation. In What would happen... Uh, in Canada, and then again with the same situation in the United States. Is it different? Uh, Unfortunately, this one is not different. Both will make exactly the same wrong decision. Uh, Throughout the U.S., Canada not so much, but on this one, Canada has made the same mistake, uh, has put into place a series of mandatory reporting legislations. They've essentially erased doctor-patient confidentiality. Uh, In a case like this, if a uh, woman comes in, Doc, I have a problem. One of my kids is doing this to my other one of the kids. We, you know, licensed psychologists, psychiatrists, mental health providers in general, are required to report this to the Children's Aid Society, who then, you know, immediately yank control of the situation, often take the, from their point of view, perpetrator uh, uh, out of the situation and go from there. Well, so the result of that is nobody's going to come into therapy Mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm An even more dramatic uh, situation is a guy himself knows he feels tempted or he's downloading child porn and doesn't seem to be able to stop. We want such a person to come in and say, Doc, I have a problem. Exactly. But if he knows that, you know, the doc is required by law to call the Children's Aid Society or whatever, you know, the local jurisdiction is, he's not going to do it. So instead of having pedophiles out in society receiving help, sex drive reducing medications, therapy, whatever it is, we have pedophiles out in society completely unbeknownst to anybody. It is insane what we've done. And it's the same in Canada and the, the United States right now? Uh, the, mandatory the mandatory reporting, reporting. situation is, uh, is, is there basically a, the is same. Is there an area where, where Canada and the United States would, would differ, where a situation in Canada might, might be okay for somebody to step forward and say something? For that kind of reporting, no. That, that, okay. that one has been lost in both. And there's only just now starting to be some, uh, some discussion about uh, whether that's a good idea or is this, which it is, or, or is it backfiring. Uh, the biggest difference uh, between the U.S. and the American systems are the uh, SVP situations that the U.S. has created for itself. Uh, SVP stands for, it has a couple nicknames, uh, sexually violent predator, I think was the original intent, or sexually violent person is a bit more u- uh, uh, neutral. These are people who have uh, committed uh, one or more sexual crimes uh, in the U.S. After they've served their sentence, they are then pulled back out of society for what's essentially preventive detention. We think this person is at, pick whatever number, percentage, estimated risk. We don't want to pose that kind of risk, so the person is pulled out of society until they are cured, is the law. Mm. The way that they worked this in the U.S. was really kind of dodgy. Uh, In the U.S., they wanted to do this via uh, the mental health laws where if a person is a danger to themselves or to somebody else, then that person can be pulled off the street, brought into a, a hospital where we can treat the psychotic disorder or, or whatever it is that uh, that's uh, ailing the person. 
They've kind of said, well, if pedophilia counts technically as a mental illness, yet let's use that system to pull these people off the street, even though we kind of know there is no way to turn a pedophile into a non-pedophile, so it gets them off the street permanently mm. for a crime for which they've already served their sentence. Mm-hmm. Right, and we're now in a sticky. Wow. Kind yeah, of it's a, so crazy. It's so there's so much involved to it, and, there, and it, it's again, it's one of those things. I, I before I, I, you just mentioned sexual violent predator, and in this conversation, it just made me start thinking about uh, how to catch a predator. Um, no accident. I, I, sorry, that's no accident. That, yeah. That's how you fulminate the masses, and that's how you get the crazies out calling and getting even more extremists elected into office. Yeah. and so doing what, what makes things worse, it just kind of sounds good in a soundbite. Yeah, I was. Well, I was going to say, what are your thoughts on that? On that that program? Like, what, what is I, what is it? Can you just how to how to catch it? a predator was a I don't know sixty minutes or something. Like it was like a a news journalism show where they would set up. Um. A gotcha situation. Yeah, yeah. It was like they, they, they would a, have a, a cop flirting with uh, with somebody who poses, you know, as a young boy or girl flirting with the, uh, whoever the uh, uh, potential predator uh, is, luring them in. Oh, I have condoms. You know, meet me at you know whatever. Oh, my parents are out that night. Come in the back door. So like online of, chat. You know exactly. Yeah. So they never met uh, in person. And and, the, and then they would and then they would storm in with a, a camera crew and and arrest them oh on the spot God. and and you know. I never thought about it until right now, sitting here having this conversation. I went, holy, because I watched a lot of How to Catch a Predator. And I was watching that going like, yeah, get those fuckers, you know? And now in my head, I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was totally, like, I totally got caught up in that. I totally got caught up in the, in the, the, uh, uh, um, sensationalism. Sensationalization. Because what if, what if, and exactly, I'm feeling the exact same way. And now I'm I feel like, going, now I feel like, like shit going. Oh god, why because watch that like, because that's gross. And, and there's and because you might have a, someone who's who's actively going. Oh, like I feel like this, but I ooh, I do not want to act on it because I know that I know that it's that it's socially wrong, and I don't want to act on it. And then you're getting somebody that's provoking you, and because of the systems we put in place, where they're going to be reported to the police anyway. They've they, like they're being yeah. like it's a step it's on like, a slippery slope. It's, it's like very interesting. These Someone people are not the same as I'll call them the virtuous pedophiles. There was actually a support group called the virtuous pedophiles, which remind me, I'll, I'll mention them again. Uh, for the people who went and approached this alleged kid, well, they did something. This was not yeah. just being aware of their no, sexual no. interests and doing nothing and suppressing it. This is somebody You're who acting. saw you what acting. they wanted to say. There was exactly. no victim. Yeah. The victim yeah. didn't even exist. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, but this is a person who did more than nothing. They had at least intent. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and let me just clarify. I didn't. I, I don't mean that I feel bad for... I, I'm, I'm feeling weird about watching that show and 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 feeling the way I felt about watching that show because I feel like it perpetuated sti- like stigma, stigma and yeah. judgment surrounding, like we were saying earlier, the difference between a pedophile and a child molester. To me, when I was watching right. that show, there's no fucking difference. And they make and it very black and white in that show exactly. where, and, and where the reality is we're obviously fig- figuring out right now in this conversation is <laughs> yeah. like w- not black and white it at all. There's a massive gray area. Super gray. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So James, uh... A sixteen-year-old comes to you and says, "I'm I'm feeling these these uh, this desire towards uh, young children. Can you help me? What like how do you or where you, can they like, go? Like yeah. what can oh, they do? If question. there's someone out there, what can they do? Uh, for somebody who's realizing that they're sexually interested in kids, that's tough until eighteen, uh, for two reasons." Uh, one is when they're young, they're close to the age, uh, closer to the ages of the people they're attracted to. They have a very different kind of access. 
Also, it's not so sure what their uh, future interests are going to be. They do sometimes right, it could evolve. grow older as we grow older, sure. which is you know, typical in, uh, in most people. Uh, there is an organization, the one I mentioned ago, Virtuous Pedophiles, that I love sending people to. These are people who you know, are not offenders, who realize that they're interested in kids, know mm. that they have no choice but to suppress it, and just support themselves, remind each other they're not crazy, there are other people in exactly the same situation, and they are a wonderful, wonderful uh, support group for that. Uh, it's, again, it's called Virtuous Pedophiles. Their website, I think, is V-I-R-P-E-D. Uh, I don't remember if it's .org or .com. Can uh, one get, uh, but you can't join that organization until you're 18 because uh, there are some people there who are attracted to 16-year-olds. Oh, yeah, God, that's, right. right, so they, right. they use a perfectly logical line totally of, uh, of 18. Sense. So even yeah. though I reflexively send as many people as possible to yeah. them, they logically need to keep that one. So a 16-year-old just dealing with this, that's per, uh, somebody that I would deal with uh, much more closely, uh, directly in therapy. So uh, I'm wondering... But, but, uh, but hold on. What but what happens in that case? You have to you have to that sixteen year old comes to your office and and they say, Doc, I need I'm starting to feel this way about um, about my 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 one year old uh, niece. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't you have to report? That's where the reporting laws start becoming very state-specific and very uh, province-specific okay. in Canada. Okay. Uh, the law here in Ontario and several different layers of organization and administration have policies and we have to follow all of them. Basically, the idea is that we need to protect from, uh, somebody from foreseeable harm. Right. So if there's somebody who's committed offenses before and says, here's somebody that I find attractive, that's now a foreseeable harm. Being pedophilic in general, with no history of the person of doing anything inappropriate, just their being pedophilic does not necessarily mean that they're posing a risk to anybody. Uh, so that would not be reportable. Mm-hmm. Now, just the person coming in for help on their own, we have every reason to think that if it gets worse, they will come in for home. Uh, uh, they will uh, come in for, uh, for help. So in a situation like that, it's perfectly reasonable not to have to report. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people, understandably, are not just following the law. They're trying to protect themselves from a lawsuit. Mm. If they report a case that they didn't have to, nothing happens to the physician, psychologist, whoever. If it's a case that they don't report and it turns out that they did uh, did have to, that they're liable for. Right. So a lot of people start uh, uh, reporting out of default just in case, right. even if it's just not to cover required. Their exactly. Uh, so if somebody says they're attracted to kids in general, I have no particular person to protect so my job or the, the, the healthcare provider's job is not to be the police and get somebody who's at risk. It's to protect an identifiable person. If it's a right. hypothetical person or if it's a person whose name I don't know or location I don't know, I can't protect them. So that I would not report or that one is not required. How many people are coming and, say, <laughs> and, giving, a, and giving a specific person? Um, those are rare. In a real-world situation, if somebody is coming, uh, coming in, they have you know, the right to you know, keep silent, not see me, withdraw consent. They, they, have, uh, all of the, uh, they have all of those <coughs> rights, as they should. Uh, so when, it's, uh, when it becomes clear that this is the land we're going to be hiking around, it starts with the therapist being very, very specific about what's reportable, what's not, and under what conditions. So here, given these, uh, given these circumstances, now what do you want to tell me? What don't you want to te- uh, tell me? Do we end the session right now? But these are the mm-hmm. limits of mm-hmm. confidentiality. Right. I'm curious to know what the, what the statistics are on the likelihood <clears throat> of someone to reoffend. Mm. Someone who has, who has no, knowingly acted upon their, their urge to, to have sex with a, a child. Mm-hmm. If they do it once, are they, is it almost guaranteed that they're going to do it again or they will keep doing it or it will, it, it will escalate to go further and further, statistically speaking? The, to boil it down to a number, which I will then immediately take back, okay. uh, is 15%-ish, somewhere between 10 and 20% of cases that are, and this is where it now starts to become, it depends, it depends, it depends. Right. Of the cases that are reported, 
convicted. You know, so of course we found out uh, about them. The person serves time and is reintegrated into society one way or uh, or another. Uh, on average, somewhere between 10 to 15-ish percent uh, of those people will, will commit new offenses right. when you pull them all together. And, mm-hmm. and be tried, convicted, and... Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a much harder question of the people who never get caught, are they going to do it again? Well, there's mm-hmm. no way to know. They never got caught, so there was no way to track them. But the more victims they have, the more likely they are to be uh, to caught, unless they're in some kind of a large uh, institution, not to, men any, uh, not to mention any particular churches, which is actually actively helping these mm-hmm. people, to, uh, uh, or at least used to uh, actively yeah. help these people from becoming discovered. So the numbers are a little bit hard to, uh, 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 hard to take. Hard to take at face value, even though we can just take Mm -hmm. a big average and come up with one number. Uh, The other problem is that uh, the people who are at highest risk are also in jail longest. Mm -hmm. And so they're not released until they're older, and age is one of the primary things that decreases a person's risk of reoffending. Oh, right. uh, Just sex drive in general. Sex drive lowers as you get older. Exactly. It's just easier for them to control (laughs) themselves. Right. Uh, another one is uh, in, is in incest situations are also unlikely to commit new ones, not because uh, uh, of any particular rehabilitation, but because they're not in their families anymore. You know, the, the people that, uh, the pattern in which they are most likely to do it again no longer exists around them. Mm-hmm. So that also changes the number, uh, uh, the number a bit. Uh, but all of that said... It's still true that uh, it's a mistake to call these people predators. The great, great majority of them are not. One of the things that we have been able to do in science is to do a pretty good job at predicting what characteristics make a person more versus less likely to commit new offenses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so even though the overall number of people is somewhere between 10 and 15, we can figure out which of these people are 2 and 3% versus the ones who are 40 and 50% likely. Right. It seems fa- it's it's really fascinating because uh you know we're 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 talking about um in, in the in the whole scheme of things like whenever we, there's this you know huge connotation of of uh, evil negativity uh around around pedophilia. Uh and in in large part, it seems to me, by my logic, because of the because of the fact that you, you hear when you hear about a pedophile, it's because they were caught doing doing they, yeah. molesting a child. So all of the information that we get, or a vast majority of the information we get about someone who has a sexual preference for a child, is that they're acting that they're acting on it. And because it seems like the, the so, like because of the social constructs that we have, we don't ever hear the other side of the story unless we are able to sit down at a table like this, talk to someone like you, mm-hmm. and get that information and start to shift our perspective. Because like just to hear you say that the vast majority of these people are not predators is like like total brain shift, mm-hmm. like that I. Never yeah. thought of because you don't have you don't have pedophiles coming out and saying exactly. publicly I'm a I'm a pedophile because they don't because have they get the ability by, to, yeah. by the public like right people, I, if so pedophile walked by the schoolyard nothing happened film at six uh, you just yeah. don't see that we only yeah. uh, we see the most heinous cases yeah. right yeah. exactly what is so the work that you are doing currently um, are you are you are you guys putting in research and, and work into how to treat someone who is uh, a pedophile, like how to how to manage that situation, or how like are there are there tools that some, uh, such things exist, and there are labs who are doing that kind of work, but that's not what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, my own work is mostly on the uh, the biological end and the uh, and the brain. End. Okay, my thought process on that, and I was thinking about this question earlier, and then I just decided not to ask it. But since we, it got brought up, is that or, or my, I guess my question to you is, do you believe in that? Because if we're talking about this as a sexual preference, homosexuality is a sexual preference. Right. And think about you know, just the history of homosexuality and going, oh, well, we can change them. And like church programs yeah. to, to try and convert yeah. someone who's gay to not be gay. It just is like... It just seems right, right, right. Like that's insane. Why would we ever do that? Right, exactly. Right. And but- if they are both sexual preferences... 
That, that's what I mean. But Where James, you, I guess if you're if you're studying the the brain and the development of the brain and and how that might have an an effect on sexual preference, is there a, a possibility to go in and tap into that and and manipulate it in some way to take away those those desires towards younger children? Mm, yes and no. The uh, the things that we found that make the brain of a pedophile different from the brain of a non-pedophile aren't the kinds of things that we know how to change. Uh, uh, the best analogy I have is that uh, after it's baked, I can't turn the chocolate cake into the vanilla cake. Mm -hmm. Early okay. in the process, I can not add the chocolate, but after it's baked, that's that. Mm -hmm. uh, so despite you know the new and really breathtaking uh, breakthroughs that are being made today, stem cell research, different uh, neurological, uh, different aspects of the brain that we thought were much more stable than they actually are, uh, those exist, but none of them has really been of the kind that really suggests any obvious treatment for, uh, for an existing case. Um, so what is your work based on then? What are you trying to uh, accomplish with your work? Yeah, like is there an end game? or uh, it, I'm, uh, I'm old-fashioned. I just want to know what makes just people know, into like, whatever it is they're yeah, into. I, I want the $64,000 question. Yeah. What makes a human brain interested in whatever they're interested in? Mm -hmm. Uh, when I first started in, uh, in research, actually, I was planning on working. What makes gay brains different from, uh, from straight brains? Mm. Uh, and then other people, uh, Simon LeVay is the most famous, started making great progress on that. But then I had this opportunity to do brain research on another very atypical uh, 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 population. So that's where I've ended up. Mm -hmm. But really, my question is, what, what's, what's the, how do these all go together? How, how does the brain know what to look for? How does it even know what a human looks like in order to know, go for that? Yeah. Never mind the subtle variations right. in age that makes it go for that and not that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I am kind of curious about this. Like, are there, are there pedophiles out there who are like, yeah, I just, I don't want to be this, so what can we do to, like, end it? Uh, are there, are, are there you oh, know, absolutely. Like chemical castration or, like, what's the, like, are, what, are there processes of... Well, that's a slightly different question. Uh, uh, there are uh, pedophiles who have discussions talking about uh, if there were a pill I could take to be not pedophilic, a lot of them would say yes. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, they would rather uh, uh, they would rather be able to blend in and be a regular person. That that really is their preference right. for a lot of them. For uh, other people, they say it's just because they've grown up with it. It's just a part of them, and they can't imagine being somebody else, which is what that would cause. So right. I think that. Uh, but that's different from giving somebody a sex drive reducing medication that we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, they're the same testosterone blockers that we would use if uh, somebody, for example, has a testosterone sensitive prostate cancer, that uh, cancer cells, prostate cancer cells spread in the presence of testosterone. So part of the treatment is cutting off the testosterone, chemical castration. Right. Uh, so a lot of these people uh, decide they would rather have no sex drive than a sex drive they can't express and is always distracting them right 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 and so are, are there is that uh is that an option for is that an option for like pedophiles uh, it can be right if you can tell your doctor to begin with you can't <laughs> right. go in and say doctor i think i have prostate cancer would you give me lupron right they'd have to say doc i'd you know and it's an extremely powerful uh, uh anti-hormone yeah. chemical you know the doc really has to know why why what's right. the process of that like how extreme is is uh what did you what did you call it Lu uh lupron lupron like if someone was to start taking lupron today uh chemically it's extremely powerful it really does very very effectively reduce the uh, the ability of testosterone in the blood to uh, to do what it's uh, it's supposed to do uh but uh male sex drive human male sex drive is not pure testosterone uh, purely testosterone fuel there are other things that contribute to it and those stay so most of the people who do take it talk about it being, you know, much easier. They feel much more relaxed. They often feel less aggressive, but they still find the people that they find attractive still to be attractive. It uh, right. usually they'll describe it as taking the edge off okay. of, uh, of any impulses. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't get rid of it, but it makes it easier for them to manage. Does it uh, present itself in any other physiological ways? Like, does it? Does it? Uh, I mean, do you mean does the medication? Yeah, like, is, are there any other really harsh side effects of of taking a? You know, uh, the worst of them for long term use, it uh, reduces bone density. Oh, okay. 
which is the same long-term, uh, uh, same problem that uh, uh, that a regular medical patient needs uh, if they're on uh, Lupron for long periods of time. Or astronauts. Yeah, yeah. We, we spoke to Chris Hatfield, and he was he was talking about how his bones just he pisses out his bones once he gets up to space. I I doubt that it would be the, uh, for the same reason. Yeah. His testosterone <laughs> levels should be normal. Yeah, right. I think gravity might be related to this one, but, but this isn't my area of expertise. Probably, yeah. I I I, I can't help but just emphasize how fascinated I fascinated I am by this conversation and the problems that we have socially in terms of approaching this subject with with like clear vision mm. uh, and you know like you like you said like, you know yeah sure that'd be a that'd be a, a viable solution if you could just go to your doctor and say hey um, I'm having this is this is how I feel and I know that this is a potential uh, medication for me, can I have it? But then there's the whole s- social issue of reporting and uh, like outing somebody and the stigma and like it just. There's a lot of very simple, inexpensive stuff we can do and don't for no good reason. Uh, for example, uh, imagine anonymous therapy over the internet. Yeah. Well, of course, I, I did, but that would take care of all kinds of problems. It's easier to stay anonymous. I, mm-hmm. But no, I'm sorry, licensure laws in one state. Because it counts as doing therapy in the state where the patient is. So if I try doing that with somebody and, you know, pick a place. Nebraska, well, that's me practicing psychology without a license in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can't do it, especially with these kinds of uh, uh, cases that can get very highly scrutinized. But, but, what but an awful did. reason to leave these people with no therapist. I mean, there are not very many people who can do that kind of therapy. And even though we have this obvious technology that we can use to put these people to reduce their risk in touch with trained people, and we're not doing it because state licensure laws, yeah. that's a decent reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. It seems like there's a lot of shortfalls in the... Um, or shortcomings in the in the in, in like the how we approach it like law wise in the justice system and, and people aren't thinking about prevention. People are thinking about punishment. Right. Yeah. People are thinking about revenge. And people are thinking about punitive measures, but actually solve the pro- solving the problem before there's a problem. Well, now it looks like you're advocating for pedophiles. You know, my own name. You know, it get, has to take the hits it does for being associated. But most people want to uh, reflexively side with the victim, which is great. Mm -hmm. But if you think one step beyond that, you could prevent this victim from from existing in the first place or this person existing as a victim. How much shit have you taken? I was going to say, how much flack do you get for the work you do? Uh, It's kind of funny. uh, When you're a sex researcher, it doesn't matter what you say. There is some group on the extreme left or the extreme right. right. Just having an answer that is taken seriously... Who, somebody is profiting by some other answer supported by whatever their political or religious system is. So no matter what topic I address, somebody someplace is, uh, is pissed. But it's yeah. crazy because if you were, if you were like prophylactically trying to treat cancer, nobody would be like, oh, you... Well, Pro- prophylactically? I knew but, somebody was going to say that. Yeah, pr- you said but, that earlier in another, in another thing. You know what a prophylactic? You mean proactively. You know what a prophylactic is, Prophylactic is when you... Prophylactics are proactive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is that yeah, actually are, the word? It's a medical. It's a medication or, or treatment before you need to be it's a preventative. Yeah, you guys are idiots. Oh, so anyway, fuck, I'm the dumb one. In this it's just so, that it's almost always, or for, almost a long, always, for a while, it's really almost. It, it's been used as a synonym I, for condom. Exactly. And, and, and I'm just. And I'm, the only reason I'm, I'm using it in this statement is is um, for sake of making a, a point, but if you were doing it for, for cancer, I thought you were going to say, say a that, pun. Nobody would say that you're advocating on, on behalf of cancer or something like that. You're trying, you're, I don't know, you're trying to... Oh, once people understand that this is actually about prevention, they line up, salute, and say, where can I write a check? Right. Yeah. The hard part is getting them to just take a, uh, take a deep breath, give me 30 seconds, and you'll right. get this. Yeah. Right. So it's probably like the people who will look at the title of this episode and be like, oh, what the fuck are those guys going to be talking about? Right. Yeah. But if they actually listen and get to this point right now, an hour into it, then, then oh, maybe you, they'll You will have to... them if you just get a person to hear that pedophilia is separate from child molestation. Oh, right. Right. That's what I said right at the beginning. There's going to be people that hear that, and they're going to go, fuck no. Yeah. Well, I'm the, glad the, that we got most that. Most people 
are fine with it and exactly like you did. Oh, I never thought of that. That mm. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mm. The people who have trouble with that are the ones with the largest emotional investments. Yeah. Sometimes those are unhealthy emotional investments. They just want to show off how, you know, how bad they can be to whom they perceive to be the bad guy. You know, virtue signaling. Mm. That, that's a chunk of it and you can't do anything about it, really. Uh, and then there's another group of, and again, I have to be, I have to be very careful when, uh, when I talk about them. Uh, I'll refer to them as uh, radical victim groups. Now, these are not, I, I, it sounds like victim blaming, and I want to make very, very sure that that's not what I'm doing. Uh, there are people who indeed have been victimized and have to go through all of the stages and all of the healing. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it ends at forgiveness, sometimes it doesn't, fine. But there are some people who get stuck and become, and victimhood becomes their identity. Right. That that somehow gives them special knowledge that therefore they know what's best because this happened to them. Now I understand where they're coming from and it makes perfect sense. For right. all I know, I would have the same thought if I went through what they did. But the emotionality often makes it much harder to take a deep breath and think about this for a second. Yeah. I understand why you want this person in jail for life, but... Is that really the kind of society? Is that really effective? Is that the money it would take to do that? Are we better off putting that money into prevention programs? You know, and these are complicated yeah. issues for somebody who can be objective about it. Right. For somebody who's been through the you know, victim part of it, I, I, as I say, I can't imagine being through, uh, through uh, that end. But there are some groups there for, uh, uh, where the emotionality and the irrationality that follows from it, uh, uh, as I said, becomes an identity and there, there's no reasoning with it. There, right. it's, it's all about punishment and working out their emotionality rather than genuine prevention. There's no way for them to look, look at the situation from a top-down perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, usually it takes more time. Some of these people get involved with, relatively, uh, uh, with groups that call themselves therapy groups, but really they're just echo chambers that, that are... Uh, uh, it's very natural for, uh, there are many victims who feel like they, uh, they asked for it or deserved it or they themselves did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so a part of very healthy and good therapy is realizing that, no, this was the perpetrator who did something wrong. But when done with uh, uh, people who are not trained in doing that, it's easy to imagine how a group therapy session just becomes blame the other, blame the other, blame the other, and that that becomes the person's response to all of these discussion is blaming external people mm -hmm. rather than, you know, understanding the relative complexity of the situation. That takes time. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is at that point. And, you know, they most certainly have, <laughs> are a stakeholder in the conversation. But the emotionality sometimes, uh, 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 the emotionality doesn't help. If some, uh, there are many situations in which it actually can, can make recidivism more instead of less likely. Right, massive obstacles that prevent them from being objective and looking down from a, from a top-down perspective and seeing, seeing this from a, from a, from a zoomed-out view. Mm. Exactly. Um, it, this, just all of this entire episode, it's just very complicated. You know, oh, my God. It's, it's all very, very complicated. But at the, at the at, same at time, the I feel time, way more clear. Way more clear. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. What's the if you had to to summarize this up in like one or two sentences and 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 deliver a message to the people out there who 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 don't quite grasp this this concept, what would you say to them? Uh, the two bottom line factoids. The one, of course, that uh, that we started with that uh, 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 that child molestation is not the same as pedophilia itself. And the other is that all the evidence is that people appear to be born either pedophilic or not pedophilic, just as much as people seem to be born uh, gay or straight or into whatever, uh, uh, into whatever they are. It's they're born with it. And, you know, humans judging other humans, you know, on the basis of, you know, something they didn't choose that they were born with has not been an overall plus. No. All we can do with these people is acknowledge the situation that they are, and now let's take it to its logical conclusion, keeping everybody as safe uh, as safe as possible. Uh, where I would love to see society generalize over the next generation is we've gone from you know gay rights, gay and lesbian rights, and now T uh, uh, GLB. Now we have the T. Now, of course, I'm skipping ahead. I, it, it's by sheer coincidence I've run to the most frickin' possibly stigmatized sexual minority possible. Mm -hmm. If we can be effective with this group, 
everybody else falls into place. Shoe fetish, piece of cake. Yeah, yeah, Cross-dressers, right, yeah. that's Whatever. nothing. Yeah. If we can bring the stigma associated with this to some reasonable, logical level, then all the sexual diversities fall into place. That's really fucking powerful. That, I, yeah. yeah, it is. This was, this was fantastic. Oh, my this honestly was fantastic. Oh. It was really nice to have you in here, and uh, I, hope that, I hope the people who are listening can, can really chew on this and take something from it. Yeah, um, I, I can't really even express how yeah. how much this conversation means. Like, it's just it's just so fucking important. Yeah. I'm delighted. <laughs> like, Thank you. Yeah. It, it's rare to have an opportunity to be able to have an in-depth conversation about so, uh, something like this. Mm-hmm. But as you can see, it's, uh, uh, it's not the kind of thing that uh, gives itself well to sound bites. No. It's, no. You need, you need, you need to time die. between you need ideas. You yeah. need to mull it over for a second. Yeah. It's just, you know, with just some very simple, basic, very easily provable facts, yeah. all of a sudden, tick, 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 tick. Right. Oh, and it just falls into place. Right. It makes so say, much sense. And you can't just say, it's okay to empathize with yeah, pedophiles. No, that's, yeah. that's just, that's that, totally. like, that, as a soundbite, that just doesn't... No. But it's easy to empathize with somebody saddled with a sexual orientation they didn't ask for and didn't do anything with. Absolutely. Right, totally. Right, yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I feel vastly more educated as a human <laughs> as a result of, of this, so totally. I, I thank you for that. My pleasure. Happy uh, to help. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. This is this is it for today. We're going to be back next week with another fascinating, fun conversation. Uh, make sure you go over to iTunes. Please rate, subscribe, review, um, and join the conversation on yeah. this one. Because yeah, yeah. Like, let us know you what you think. Like, hit us up on Facebook. Hit yeah. us up on on Twitter. Uh, go to our website. Send us an email. Um, yeah. We would love to know what your thoughts are. Um, That's it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.